welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. Well, I got an email from a new Patreon. David. David Bruce. David is going to go live the dream at some point in time. And he just bought a boat over in Europe, an Emile Satorin, and I guess it's hull number six. I think that's a gorgeous boat, by the way. David suggested that I might interview his broker for his transaction. His name is Jerome Fragnon, and I'm sure I'm spelling that wrong, in Antibes. So I reached out to Jerome, and he said, sure, I'd be glad to come on. So that's going to be our interview today. But let me bring you up to date on what's going on in Utah right now. We're late into fall. I went up to a resort, a snow basin. I went up to Huntsville, which is uh, the same area where the, the ski resort snow basin is located. And that's where they had the downhill course for the 2003 Olympics, the men's, women's, Alpine events were all held at Snow Basin, and it's one of the great undiscovered ski resorts in Utah. Well, normally this time of year, you'd be putting a good base of snow on the ground, but there is not a... (laughs) Well, I guess there's a few flakes that have been produced by machines up on the slopes as we drove by, but as a general rule, it's bone dry. There is no snow. We had snow earlier in the year, but it's all melted, It was a beautiful day. I mean, it was probably 40 degrees outside. I went up there to meet with an angel investment group. We had sort of an outing up at a new real estate development, which is (laughs) not, 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 not an investment I would make, but it was a fun afternoon. It was a gorgeous day, blue sky. But as you look out over the horizon, you can see the smoke that's blown in from California here. Well, this time of year, normally, I have a lot of hay fever symptoms. It's a fall that tends to bother me the most. And in the valley, I have my eyes are itching. And it's not as bad as it has been in some years. But when I head up to the summer home, which is now our full-time home, I have no symptoms at all. So I was planning on heading up today, but turns out I've got an evening commitment that I have to go to in Salt Lake. So it'll be tomorrow, and I'll head up for the weekend to spend time up there. My wife's up there living full-time now. She loves it, and it's gorgeous. There's a moose just down below our valley that's been there for probably a week. It really hasn't moved, so it must be sick. It's not moving much. I did a hike in my, uh, my usual hike where I hunt elk this year, and I still have an elk permit because I have a private lands permit, which lets me hunt elk until the end of January. But I have not seen any sign of elk. Uh, we did have one, one herd of about 11 that we had a, a chance to shoot at. And my friend took the shot and missed. It was an easy shot, too. It was a 300-yard shot. And he said, well, I was aiming for the neck. And when you're going out that far, you should aim for the body. But anyway, those elk got away. They sort of wandered off. They said, oh, I wonder what was that? that was. And then just sort of walked out of sight. <laughs> no longer to be seen ever again. This year, anyway. So that's what's going on here. Before we get on to my interview with Jerome, 
Let me thank our sponsor, Sailrite. This show is sponsored in part by Sailrite. Since 1969, Sailrite has been equipping self-sufficient sailors with tools, supplies, and knowledge they need to sew for their boats. This second-generation family business is also the maker of the Sailrite Ultrafeed sewing machine. The Ultrafeed is a portable, heavy-duty sewing machine that was designed to handle all your maritime sewing projects from sails to covers. At Sailrite, you'll find everything you need to take on your next do-it-yourself project, including fabric, tools, hardware, and even hundreds of free how-to video tutorials. Start your next project at Sailrite.com. That's S-A-I-L-R-I-T-E.com. And once again, I want to thank David for becoming my latest Patreon. If you'd like to become a patron of this podcast, I would appreciate it. Go to patreon.com backslash medsailor and sign up. I would appreciate it. So again, I want to thank David Bruce for becoming my latest Patreon. I really appreciate it, Dave. It means a lot when people like the podcast enough to actually commit to donating to it once in a while. But David wrote me. He said, you once mentioned wanting to interview a European boat broker. We, we bought our Emile Satorin in France and were assisted by Jerome Fragon in Antibes, and whom I feel did a great job. Jerome speaks English well, and he said he would be happy to do a podcast, which some of your listeners might find interesting since he's brokered many sales involving non-EU citizens. If you'd be interested, here's his email. And he gave me his email. Then he went on to say, on another note, your recent comments regarding the effort to commission, decommission a boat really resonated. Having sailed in the Med for two summers now, I have to say that we definitely underestimated this aspect of the part-time cruising gig, as well as just how little boats like to sit unused for a year. My takeaway from this is that obviously we need to spend more time on the boat. I had to smile when you were recounting your trouble with the water pump as I'd happily have traded your problem for the bevy of issues that we had to deal with this past summer. It took us four attempts to leave Port Napoleon, limping back to the marina each time after saying goodbye was embarrassing initially, but eventually became humorous. Still had a good and memorable cruise through. We're now on the heart in Galleta. You might know Jane Kohler at BNFG. She might also be a good interview. Yeah, I've actually reached out to her, well, it's been over a year, and it just was really hard to connect with her because she was off sailing. I probably would be good to reach out to her again right now. I think she works, she's a uh, sort of the English translator at uh, the Galleta Boatyard. But yeah, if you have a contact information on her, I might have it, but it might be hard for me to dig it out. Uh, David, send me another email with her contact information if you've got it. All right, now let's get on to my interview with Jerome. So I am on the phone with Jerome Fragnon, and I know I'm butchering that name, so tell me how to pronounce that name. I am Jerome Fragnon. Fragnon. So that's pretty close. <laughs> Fragnon, okay. So the G is silent then, Fragnon, okay, good. And, and I got your name, as I said before, from Dave. And you are a yacht broker, and I haven't interviewed, I don't think on the podcast, a yacht broker yet. So you're going to be the first yacht broker we've talked to on the Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond podcast. So give me some information about yourself, your experience, and we'll just go and ask questions as they come up. 
All right. Um, well, I'm 49 years old and I've been doing uh, yield brokerage for about almost 20 years. Uh, before that, I was working as a sales and export manager for some boatyards, primary for Jeannot in France, a well-known uh, at that time mainly sailboat manufacturer and now obviously also power manufacturer. Uh, and then I worked for uh, Riva in Italy, um, power boat manufacturer. At the time it was belonging to um, um, Rolls-Royce Group, which was actually um, the British group base, obviously, that had purchased the company some years before. Uh, I set up my own brokerage company about 15 years ago, yeah, almost 20 years now. And uh, yeah, I sell both power and sale uh, from Antibes in south of France. Uh, and I have, uh, thanks to internet and uh, a worldwide based uh, customer base, uh, mainly f half of it comes from France and the rest of half come from, let's say, around Europe, uh, Italy, Spain, England, uh, Germany, uh, Scandinavia, Belgium, Swiss, uh, and a little bit far or far off, uh, United States, but also South America and uh, Asia as well from time to time. All right, so let's walk through the process of of number one, how do you market yourself or do people contact you as a general rule? Um, there are several ways. The first one obviously is through internet, they get my leads through internet. Um, once I have some boats for sale, I obviously list them onto the main sites, internet portals. Uh, so I have my own website, notice.fr. But obviously, this is replicated on uh, various uh, foreign and French uh, portals, such as uh, Yacht World, uh, the Yacht Market, uh, Inausia, Boats.com, and many others. So obviously, a good part of my leads come from that area. Um, the second part of my leads come actually from boat shows I'm doing. I'm actually exhibiting in a French boat show in Cannes south of France, which is in September, quite a famous show in Europe. And I have a brokerage stand there, and I get people who come and walk through the stand, either wishing to sell their boat, or, and obviously sometimes looking for the next boat, only looking for to buy the next boat. And the third part of my contacts come from, um, let's say, word of mouth and uh, the customers I sold boats to and are speaking to their friends and sometimes they want to change their boat as well. So this is also a very valuable part of my um, clientele. Uh, concerning a listing of boats, uh, I get my listing a little bit uh, on the same conditions I just explained. And also um, uh, through um, leads that I get from people wishing to buy boats and obviously having their own boat to sell. So if the boat is located within a reachable area from my base, which is on TIB, I uh, help them by selling the boat. All right. So so let's walk through this. Let's say I'm on Yacht World and I'm looking at a specific boat. And and most likely, the how you would become involved is if you had listed that boat. And I would click on that boat 
and it would give me information about it, and then I could t- contact you directly at that point in time. Is is that how it, it works normally? Yes, exactly. Uh, normally, uh, you would just uh, click, and I will get your details, such as email and telephone, and I will first send you a complete expose, a complete specification of the boat, together with uh, real pictures of the boat. It is quite important at that stage that you receive accurate information. Uh, That means pictures which I've been actually taking on the boat myself and um, which uh, reflects the condition of the boat. Also on the specification, it is not a very deep specification, but all the basics are there. So you know exactly uh, what boat configuration you're looking at. And also my own comments onto the boat. Uh, the idea after you receive that, obviously, is that we get into closer contact. We might call each other, and I kind of explain you the boat as I see it. What are the pros and cons, as every boat it has, and uh, what condition, so that you can um, assess whether the boat is the right for you for your program, and uh, for your budget, and for what you intend to do with it. Okay. Now, in real estate, uh, you know, in the, in America, so I have a house, and I'm trying to sell it right now, in fact. So I have a house, and I have a listing agent for the house, and the listing agent puts it on the multiple listing service, and, uh, and so he will get part of the commission for listing the house, but the person that actually sells a house or the broker that actually sells a house also gets half of the commission. Is that how it works in boats as well? Uh, Yes and no. It actually, um, the process uh, can be the same as you described, that I actually list a boat and I put it on internet, and then another fellow broker actually has a client for this boat and contact me, and then we will split the commission as you just explained. Sometimes the end buyer will contact me directly, and then I will be both the listing and the selling broker. I'm the only broker involved in that case. That is actually as frequent as the other situation. The difference maybe um, with the US is that in Europe, we have less uh, what we call central listing or exclusive listing. Most of the boats in my span range, which is about, let's say, from 40 to 90 feet, 100 foot foot, uh, size boat, would be owners who are actually listing their boat with one, but maybe two or three brokers. not So it won't be an exclusive listing obligatory. Ah, okay. That's a, that's a big difference. That's a big difference yes. right there. So, so I could list my, if I had a boat for sale, I could list it with you and I could list it with three or four other brokers and they would all put it up and hopefully I'd get enough exposure that somebody would click one of the ads and it would go to that broker and most likely whoever click the ad that they saw, the broker that had listed it on that particular ad would be the one that got the that got the listing and selling commission altogether, correct? Yeah, that is correct. For example, uh, we have a German clients who are living in Dusseldorf in Germany, and they have their boat in Antibes in south of France. They may decide to give it to a French broker and also to a German broker. Maybe, you know, it may make sense to think that some of the clientele from Germany would rather go to a German broker for language, for kind of um, 
cultural uh, approach. And uh, but other clients uh, from other countries or even from Germany may choose to go to the broker which is closer to the boat. Voilà. That's an example, you know, where we have two or three brokers involved. Well, that makes sense because some people it crosses the language and cultural barriers sometimes, and so it would make sense to list it in wherever you think your most likely customers would possibly be located. And so you'd probably want an English listing or an American listing, maybe a British, French, German. Croatian, who knows, but that makes sense. Now let's talk about when you get a listing, um, do you typically s send people out or how do you get your information on the boat? Do you rely on the, uh, on the seller of the boat to get you that information or do you verify it? How, what goes on at that point in time? Yeah, uh, we try to collect information from the seller, obviously, because part of the um, Part of, um, of the important uh, information is uh, what has happened to the boat in the past years, and that we can only have from the owner. So we actually interview him and try to get uh, the maintenance invoice and all the history of the boat, whether if it's a boat was done charter or is it a private boat, how many owners, etc. And then we, um, we, uh, I go personally on the boat to check all the boats and make the inventory, make the pictures, and get you know I get to know the boat myself directly. This, of course, um, can be done when the boat is in an easy reach of my office. You know I can travel in south of France and even to close uh, nearby Italy up to Spain in the Mediterranean. Some owners, because they know me, because we had past experience, because they've been recommended. Uh, may have the boat in another place, for example, on the west coast of France, which is about 1,000 kilometers away, about 600 miles. And then I won't have the chance, obviously, to go there just to look at that specific boat. Then in that case, I would ask the owner to give me as much information as possible. And I will mention, obviously, to a buyer that I'm only referring information which has been passed to me by the owner. But most of the time, I would say 90% of the time, I actually know myself every single boat that I'm listing and putting on the Internet. All right. So I'm at your website, and I'm looking at boats, and here's a Jono 53 that you've got listed for sale for 225,000 euros. Let's say that I, I contacted you, and I said, okay, let's, uh, let's look at this boat, and I'm going to click this and get more details on it and see what, what shows up. But uh, what's the process at that point in time? I mean, and usually, how, long, how much hand-holding do you do for your potential buyers? So sort of just walk us through that. Sorry, how much? Sorry. This one is the Junot 53, yeah. and it's 200, yep, 225,000 euros is what it's listed. Yep. Ah, and it does say on here, VAT not paid. So uh, that sort of tells me that, it, you know, it's, it's, they've been able to dodge the VAT, or it might have been a charter boat for a period of time. I don't know. So there's more details that I'd want to look at on that. But um, and, and that's going to be a big issue I want to talk to you about is VAT so as we get down this path, because it's one of those yep. bugaboos I have to uh, worry about when I'm sailing over there. But, Correct. So, so let's say you had a customer. Let's say you're talking to me, and you said, okay, Franz, you're going to give me more details on this. And yep. just sort of walk me through what happens here. Okay. Um, so you will be receiving, you know, a full picture reportage on the boat. And I will explain you what the history of this boat. For example, this specific boat is a one owner only. 
is actually purchased the boat new from Jano uh, and had it very well equipped. And he actually um, decided to put the boat in a company. So the boat is under company ownership and is doing chartering with the boat, with himself on board of the boat. This is why the boat is um, that uh, plus that, you know, depending on where we sell the boat. Uh, I can tell you that the boat is uh, very well uh, equipped. It's actually every single option or almost is present on the boat. And, uh, and it's quite well, you know, preserved, uh, though it has done quite intensive sailing over the years. Okay. The next step, really, uh, when I've described you the boat, you've received the pictures, is for you to come and look at the boat. That's really the almost the step, you know, immediately afterwards, because nothing can replace really what, you know, you're viewing the boat, feeling what I just described it, whether it does fit what you expect. And, um, and so this is normally how clients would go forward. Okay. So I'm looking at this boat and I don't see where it's, where it's being held. Is it on this page somewhere? I don't see it here. It may be. But anyway, where is this, this particular boat located? Yeah, this, this specific boat is located in Antibes. Okay. Uh, so where my office is based. And the, most of the boats would be very nearby. Uh, and it may not be specified uh, because it's not a relevant information at that stage. You know, I would give you the information whether we are already in contact. Okay, okay. Now, here's a typical situation most Americans would be dealing with, is they want to come over to Europe, and they want to buy a boat, and they might be looking at boats in uh, Croatia, or they might be looking at boats in France, or any number of places, and they want to make the most of their trip and uh, make their decision while they're, while they're sailing. So that, that in itself sort of makes it difficult to go actually look at a lot of boats unless you plan out your itinerary well. What's your suggestion to somebody that's looking at a boat, and let's say an American that has to travel over and spend some time looking at individual boats? How would you recommend they go about that? Yeah, I would recommend that. Uh, you're right. It's quite a logistic to try to view all these boats, and um, it's time-consuming, and, um, and, um, but it's necessary. I think that it's good to look at several boats because before making a decision. And um, as a whole, I would say most of the boats um, are based in the South countries, uh, which means Spain, France, Italy. You know, on these three countries, which has, have a very long coastlines, you will find a lot of harbors and many, many boats. So obviously, you know, depending on what, time, you know, and energy the buyers have, I, I would recommend them to concentrate on one or two countries, which obviously would already host quite a number of boats that they'll be interested in. So that means contacting, you know, several brokers uh, corresponding to the boats they've been focusing on and trying just to make arrangements for viewing these boats one after the other. Uh, so, you know, to spending like, you know, four or five days in one country, in one area to view five, six boats and change to the next area to view the other boats. Um, again, uh, some countries, um, and you mentioned Croatia, and we can also mention Turkey or Greece, 
are countries where uh, boats are a lot used on charter, uh, being mainly uh, sailing yachts, but also power. So if you look for a charter boat, obviously you want to consider these areas primarily because you'll find a, a huge fleet of them. Uh, in France, in Italy and in Spain, uh, there is a proportion of charter boats, but is something like, you know, I would say it won't exceed 15, 10, 15%, you know, of the whole population of boats. When I, I would say that in Croatia, Greece or Turkey, it may go to more than 50, 60% of the boats. So that's also an indication where you should look when you are looking for boats. Uh, depending on the typology and the, um, the type of, the, 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 you know, the, the condition of the boat you're looking for. But I think um, we have the advantage of in Europe to have uh, short distances between the uh, countries. Uh, we are all tiny countries in, in comparison to, to, you, to the U.S. So driving from Barcelona, you know, in Spain to Antibes in France, is only you know less than a day trip. It's five hours trip. Another and none of the five hours you are down to you know in the middle of Italy. So it's not that complicated. You know, renting a car and going around these three countries I mentioned, you can do a lot and view a lot of boats. So, you know, you you said contacting different brokers in different places. So then, so you would suggest that let's say if I was looking at boats in Croatia that I contact Croatian brokers and Italy Italian brokers uh, and in France French brokers is that is that what you think would make the most sense if you're going to be traveling around and looking at boats in those those several countries then yes I think it would be the best if you are um, if you are ready to let's say to, to experience the different of culture and language may also be a problem of course but it's, it, it would be the kind of, um, of, um, of you know, of, of, of way of doing, um, uh, obviously, um, because it would it will not be so easy to pick one broker and ask him to contact all the other brokers and just arrange everything for you. Unfortunately, we can do that within a certain range. You know, like uh, I could do it for France. You know, South of France. But it will be difficult for me to organize it in Croatia for a customer coming from the U.S. Um, I think he's, if he's willing to view several countries, to view to all the boats, it's better, for example, to pick one broker per country, and the broker will organize for his viewing in the specific country. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Now, I did talk to, uh, actually, I interviewed somebody earlier this year that bought a boat in, uh, in Turkey. As I recall, it was in Bodrum. And uh, it was just an absolute nightmare to actually get all the documents and finally be able to leave the country. It took him a lot longer than anticipated. What, what bureaucracy issues does an American have when he's coming over to uh, the Mediterranean to buy a yacht? Yeah. Um, we have a situation uh, which is very different uh, one country uh, to the other. Um, first of all, as you know, we have Europe, and so the countries without, within Europe and um, have a more integrated and uh, related system of uh, registering boats. The countries which are outside Europe, such as Turkey, 
um, then they have a completely different system again. Uh, so if you are talking about the Spanish system in respect to the French or the Italian system, um, this is quite similar. It has some differences, and it's good to know them, but um, it is less complicated than going again to non-EEC countries. Um, having said that, um, basically the concern of buying a boat in Europe for an American should be obviously um, to check that the boat has no mortgage, that it has clear title, uh, that the owner has paid all relevant taxes, and uh, and obviously uh, make sure that the bill of sale is receiving uh, and all the other documents will entitle him to register the boat where he wants, possibly in the US if he wants to do so. This is actually the way that we help the clients, because as a broker, that's the part of the job, obviously, we'll be doing for him. Uh, that's, again, you know, uh, that's why it's better to have a good broker who actually will follow well all this documentation side, which is very important. Um, and this is um, obviously critical uh, to ensure that the money um, that the um, buyer is sending is safe at all time. So would a, uh, would a purchaser need to retain his own attorney or would the broker typically handle the transaction and verify good title and all the other things you've listed? Yeah, we normally hold the, the money and we verify, we check everything. We, we, we don't go through um, attorneys or lawyers or to do so. We actually um, do it ourselves. Okay, and what about financing? Would you arrange financing for the boat as well? Not for French people. We do that for France, French people, mm -hmm. but the French banks will not want to uh, finance uh, foreign people, neither European ones or non-European ones. Uh, you have to think. You have to think that to remember that with the crisis we had, you know, the subprime crisis, which struck quite hard the the yacht market. Uh, the bank uh, got very, um, you know, they were very. Um, very damaged by uh, having clients who d didn't pay their, um, their loans anymore. So actually now they are very, very reluctant to financing any foreign gentleman. So actually 90% of the French bank we only finance uh, French-based customers. Okay, so let's say a French-based customer wanted to leave his boat over in Croatia. Would they have a problem with that or do they require that the boat reside in the country? No, they have no problem. The boat okay. is um, something that can move and the boat can go wherever it wants. Okay, okay. So, um, what's the commission that's typically paid on a boat? It's 10%. 10%. Um, in France, that includes a 20% VAT. So, it's actually 8-something uh, plus VAT. Okay, plus VAT. The commission is included in the price of the boat, obviously. Yeah? Oh, okay, when so when I'm looking at a listing, that includes the uh, that includes the commission, then. That's correct. This is the case of almost all countries in Europe except Italy. 
Oh, really? Yeah, it's a, <laughs> Italy is an exception in many ways, but this this is one of it. Um, in Italy, the commission is splitted within before, uh, between the buyer and the seller. So actually, um, on both uh, on both brokerage in Italy, you will always see the price plus five percent commission, because only five percent is included and paid by the seller, and another five percent would be paid by the buyer. So if I were the buyer and I wasn't using another broker, the commission in Italy would be 5%, is that right or not? No, you will still be, uh, and uh, you will still have to pay 5% on top of the price, and the, the seller will pay the other half, uh, 5%. Oh, okay, okay. So added on the, uh, other, so you add on top of the price, your half of it, the, sell, the seller's half of the commission then. Okay. Well, that's good, that's good information to know. So if you're comparing... On the yacht, you know, let's say a Yacht World website, and you're looking at an Italian listed boat and a French listed boat, and one's the Italian one's five percent cheaper, and that would make the difference, right? That is correct. Okay, that's good information. <laughs> All right, let's talk about VAT. Give me your understanding of an American coming over, and uh, and and not wanting to pay VAT. How is he going to avoid it? Uh, <laughs> there are two two different cases. Um, the VAT is a tax paid by the end user on every single good in in France and Europe in general. Once it's paid, you cannot retrieve it. You cannot reclaim it back. It's been paid. It's lost. The government has taken it. It's finished. Period. If the boat is belonging to a company, it's different because the company, if it's VAT-related company, will have deducted the VAT, and that means it had claimed it back from the government, and then when it sells the boat, it will either invoice the VAT again if the buyer is based in the, in, in, is an end user in the EC, or it will not invoice VAT if the buyer is a company outside Europe, or if it's a European VAT-related company. It's a bit complicated, but to make it simple, and 90% of the case of the boat that Americans will be looking at buying, they are VAT paid, and that means they cannot claim back VAT. They, you know, the boat is a second-hand boat, it has paid VAT, and that's it. Uh, it means that once they're actually exporting the boat, they will not get any refund on that. Okay. So let's talk about a company buying a boat. So would it, would it make sense for, and I know some people are doing this, uh, where you go and set up a Maltese company you buy the boat, you quote-unquote put it in the charter fleet, you, <laughs> you only use it for yourself, but you really don't charter it out and avoid VAT that way? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, it has to be a VAT-registered uh, VAT, uh, company. And today, uh, you know, most of these simple company, for example, of the shelf in England or Malta, they are not VAT you know, registered company. So you would have, it, it would have to be a VAT registered company which are actually showing an activity of chartering the boat, invoicing, etc., and claiming back VAT. 
Um, but with this instrument, yes, you are right, the VAT will be deducted by the company. And then when, they, when it sells the boat, it can sell it with or without VAT, depending on the buyer's nationality and private or uh, um, not private person. Okay. So they... So, but, but the company actually has to show that it does really charter the boat out or doesn't it? Well, um, yes and no. If it's, um, it depends where the boat is chartered and where is the company based. For example, I'm in France. Mm-hmm. Um, if I have a boat, if I have a company in France chartering boats, uh, obviously I'm, you know, submit to the French. Um, low examination and I will have to show my books and show that you know my boat is uh, chartered and it's not only my private boat but I'm actually making business out of it and I'm paying taxes and etc if the boat belongs to a Maltese company just comes you know to France uh, just out of charter or whatever well you know obviously in France it has to show nothing you know just the boat is visiting France and going away it will have to show the same in Malta you know um, so each country, uh, the boat is only responsible, really. Uh, the company is only responsible in the country where it's formed. Okay, okay. What are what's your experience with Americans uh, buying boats in Europe? I know you have some experience. Do they typically pay the VAT, or do they try to buy boats that have VAP not VAT not paid? Uh, what what's been your experience? No, normally it's not so much an issue, really. Um, Americans buying uh, second-hand boats, they will find most of the boats are VAT paid and they will accept such situation. You know, it's uh, it's not really... Um, it, they don't have to pay the VAT. The VAT is paid. So they just, you know... It's, it's like if you buy a second-hand car, you know, in Europe. Mm-hmm. You know, you come, you buy a car, you see how much you want to pay for it, you know, 10,000 euro, okay, fine. You know, the first owner has paid VAT maybe, but, you know, it's... You know, the, to you, what really matters is the price you pay the boat. Um, it's only, um, again, you know, they're on, on second-hand boats. Most of the time, the VAT is paid. I've said ninety percent of the of the time. So it's already complicated, I think, to try to find the right boat for you on the good condition, corresponding to the budget. Uh, you know, within you, what you really want to buy for not, you know, if, okay, if the boat has not paid VAT and you are able to export it, it's a, even a little better, but it's not a real criteria that comes first in the mind of the buyers. All right. So I'm going to describe my situation. I know this is me specific. I've had my boat in the Mediterranean sailing around for, uh, well, since 1997 and the mm-hmm. boat was built in 1992. So it's an old boat. And I've avoided paying VAT by, number one, keeping my boat in Turkey for multiple years. And number two, as I sailed through, uh, as I wintered it in Malta one time when they weren't part of the EU. I wintered it in Croatia when they weren't part of the EU. So I've always <laughs> avoided that 18-month uh, magic number. But let's say, and my wife says this often, says, why don't you just pay the VAT and we don't have to worry about it? What, what's the And I've asked I, here's my problem. I've never been able to get a straight answer on what the VAT is going to be. It's sort of like once you go down this rabbit hole, you're sort of locked into actually paying whatever they decide the boat's worth. 
<laughs> you see what I'm saying? What? Yeah, that is right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I can't say, okay, give me a bid for VAT in this country and a bid for VAT in that country. I can't, I can't play one country off against another. If I start saying, all right, give me a, you know, tell me what I'm going to have to pay to, VA, to, pay, to pay VAT, then, uh, then that's sort of locking you into actually paying VAT in that country, right? Yeah, more or less, because then we'll, you'll be starting, you know, to hand documents to the customs department, and what they will say is, uh, you have to um, you have to have a surveyor coming on the boat and assessing the value of the boat, and you have uh, it has to be a, a surveyor, which is obviously um, uh, recommended by the customs, mm-hmm. and uh, you will have to pay for that, and you will have just to you know to to. To pay VAT on the value is actually estimating your boat. Yeah. Are there countries that are better for doing this than others? Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know if there are better countries or worse, but uh, definitely um, any country. I mean, it's good for you to pay that VAT is paid in any EC country. So it can be Malta, it can be Croatia, it can be Italy and uh, Spain and. Um, um, obviously, um, each country will have their own um, uh, reference, you know, b- value base uh, for the boats. But I don't think it would make such a big difference because if we take the famous Jano 53 you just picked before, uh, any customs in Europe will be able just to click on the internet, you know, the type of boats and the year and assess the value. You know, like, you know, not precisely, but uh, so I think that um, this assessment uh, of the value will not be so different from one country to the other. What would be different is the rate of VAT to be paid. Ah, okay. Uh, because it's uh, 20 in France, it's 22 in Italy, it's 18% in Germany. And then uh, it's, I think, 25% in Greece, et cetera, et cetera. I think in Malta, it's uh, less than that. It should be 18% now or 15%. Uh, 15% is also um, in uh, some um, Portuguese island. Uh, so this you can do is choose the country where the rate of VAT is the lowest, definitely. Ah, okay. So, so it sounds like Malta might be my choice in the Mediterranean then, if I were to actually go ahead and do it then. Yeah, that's right. Now, is there now? I know that there used to be an, an exclusion for boats that were past a certain age, but does that does that exist anymore? Because my boat's pretty ancient now. Yeah, but um, that's right. But that was for boats which were registered under Europe countries, under oh. Europe flags. Okay, okay. And it's the, all, normally uh, around thirty years. It's uh, it, it was thirty years in Italy. And it was uh, 85, 1985 in France. So where do we do now? Uh, yeah, 35, three years as well, yeah. But that was for both who were registered under French flag or Italian flag or whatever. Okay, okay. I understand your boat would be U.S. Yep. documented? Or? Always U.S. documented, yeah. It's always yep. been U.S. documented, so that's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. that's right. All right. Jerome, is there anything else we should cover before we end the interview? Well, no. I think uh, looking for a boat is an exciting experience. Um, um, And definitely, um, 
it is different from one country to the other. So my recommendation would be for the buyers to first concentrate on one country, one of the three we've mentioned, for example, France, Spain, or Italy, because there are a lot of boats in each of these countries. And I think it's uh, already difficult to understand the legislation and you know the possibilities in each country. So my recommendation would be for the U.S. clients to pick one country to start with, you know, and just uh, stick to that one to make it a little simpler their approach. Okay, let's uh, let me ba- let me ask a couple more questions. Let's say that an American is sitting here dreaming as we're going into winter and saying, "Oh, next summer I'm going to go sail in the Mediterranean." How much time and when is the best time to go over and look for boats? Do you see a lot of boats that get listed in the winter and uh, and they're for sale and and what sort of a when when would be a good time to come over and look at boats? Yeah, typically a good time um, is about now. That means after the summer, uh, which is in uh, August, um, most of the buyer, most of the owners would decide to say, "Well, we thought we would change the boat uh, for the next season, etc." So that's why they actually start to put their boat on the market in September and October. At the same time, they will be looking for the next boat. So the best time to look at the boat is actually the winter time. Yeah, September, October, November, December. It normally gets quieter towards Christmas and January. People think about skiing. And then suddenly February, March, April is the second hot buying period. Uh, So that would be probably the best time to come and look at the boats. Also because obviously everyone here in Europe wants to get prepared for the next summer season. That means, you know, the time is nice from May, June. Uh, So that's why, you know, people like to buy that in the winter month. Okay, so once somebody's picked a boat, and uh, the next step would probably to go ahead and have it surveyed, and uh, and then negotiate the final price. How much negotiation goes on uh, between the time that they pick a boat and, uh, and and you know the time they have it surveyed and the actual settle on a price? Is is there a lot of negotiation that goes on back and forth? No, not so much. Um... I must say that it's a situation which varies a lot, obviously, from um, one boat to the other, because some boats are higher priced because the owner thinks that, you know, my boat is valued more than the other, etc. So they're obviously dreaming of getting a little more than the others for their boat. And sometimes, you know, the market brings them down to reality and they have to accept that they get an offer, which is, you know, um, not what they expected. Uh, when other owners may just think, well, you know, I, I need to sell this boat because I want quickly to get the next one. So let's get down to a price, you know, a real market price. And then in that case, there will be very little negotiation, you know. So we find very different situation where sometimes uh, we almost sell at the price we listed the boat, you know, like maximum three, four, five percent. Uh, the negotiation uh, and sometimes obviously when the boat is more expensive yeah it can get you know for much higher uh, uh, discounts uh, respect to to the offers um, during uh, I must say that um, um, survey is not a way of renegotiating the deal you know not not in Europe uh, not in France um, once you've set the price you do the survey 
okay, if you find some real, you know, defect or whatever, which affect the boat, you know, there is a little negotiation with the owner. Okay, you, the fridge is not working properly. You know, what do we do? We change the fridge. Okay, okay. But it's not a way of saying, you know, of, of adding, you know, I found a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Therefore, you will deduct everything from the boat. We have some very little negotiation during surveys, actually. Um, uh, it's 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 certainly not a way of uh, uh, renegotiating the price. You know, once once you've signed the MOA with a price, you, you should be expected to pay that price. You know, that's the way we understand it. Then, if there is a problem, of course, it will be solved. But you know, normally it's pretty much the way it is. So I come over, I look at a boat, I say, "This is the boat I'd like." You said sign an MOA. What is would I would I would I hire a surveyor to look at the boat before I sign anything, or uh, what would be the what would be the next step? I say I want this boat, but I don't know how the rigging is. I don't know how the engine is. I don't know what the refrigerator is working. I want to make sure that it's what I think it is before I make an offer on this boat. What what happens then? Well, you should visit the boat carefully, and mm -hmm. if you like to, yes, get uh, somebody to um, get technical a technician come with you and assess the value elements. But not, I, I wouldn't call it a survey. You know, the survey will be typically after we sign the MOA, uh, because we'll be lifting the boat out of the water, you know, cleaning the underwater, have uh, you know, everything checked, and then doing the test drives. So obviously, the seller will only go into that process, and the buyer as well once we've agreed on everything. Uh, because if not, uh, both of them would be at risk. Uh, the buyer that, you know, the seller changes mind and just say, well, I don't send my boat anymore once he's paid all the cost and the seller the same, you know, the, the buyer disappearing because say, well, finally I'm not so interested in your boat as I thought. So uh, the, 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 the way out um, is obviously to to clearly understand the condition of the boat and to make your, you know, the, the value, uh, the, the buyer has to make his mind about the value of the boat that he's prepared to pay. And um, the broker also helps, obviously, to highlight him as much as possible during the, the visit and, the, you know, when, when he visits everything. And um, But, of course, there will be um, typically uh, during the survey some small things or bigger things found. A defect on the boat. If it's a big defect, the buyer has always the possibility to walk out of the deal, of course. And that's the kind of where the negotiation, you know, the, this power in the negotiation can be organized um, against the seller. Uh, but m my comment before was that the buyer should not see the survey as a way of renegotiating the deal. You see, it's, it's, if there is some defect, obviously it has to be corrected by the buyer, by the seller. But it's not a way, you know, of changing the cards. Okay, great. So let's say that, okay, everything's been fine. You like the boat. We want to go ahead with it. What typically is the length of time from uh, commitment to the paperwork being done and sailing out of the marina? Well, um, I would say four to six weeks. Okay. All right. Yeah. So you better give yourself a month and a half to, uh, to actually take the boat out and go sailing. So if you wanted to go sailing in uh, in uh, June, you want to have the boat purchased in, in the middle of April then, it sounds like. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, that's right. Also think that um, um, we will need to delete the French flag or whatever flag it's in Europe, and then you will need to document the boat in the U.S. And 
that is not, I think, also a very uh, quick process, or I don't know how long it takes at present time, but um, you have also to think that, that in Europe, once a boat has been deflagged, that it, the, the flag has been deleted, it cannot sail anymore until it gets its new flag. Okay, okay. And you take care of all the paperwork, the re-registration and everything? No, we do not take part of that uh, for the U.S. Uh, we can do we do it in France because we have you know the, the, the we have the knowledge and we have the access to the French customs department. But in the case of a sale for foreign uh, buyers, uh, it can be Italian or U.S. or uh, Scandinavian, then the buyer will actually uh, care for its own registration documentation in his country. So would he retain a U.S. attorney to do that or a French attorney to do that? Because you you will deflag it in France. Is that correct? That is correct. It, okay. it would not need an attorney. It would need an agency. Uh, I would say in the I don't know if it's a, in the U.S. I think I don't think it's an attorney who actually will register the boat for you. Would it? Uh, it, it might be, but it might just be somebody. That, I mean, I, I when I documented my boat, I just did it myself. I just filled out the forms right. and did it myself. It wasn't that big a deal. But uh, no, that's right. Yeah. That's right. But uh, there is there are agencies specialized, like in France or in every country, for flagging the boats. So um, uh, typically, the U.S. customer will go to a U.S. agency who will flag the boat for him. Yeah. Okay. All right, Jerome. Thank you very much. Anything else we should cover? So we we've gone on about another. 15 minutes after what we said was uh, <laughs> we needed to end it. But do you have anything okay. else? Any, any, any no. other thoughts? Sounds, no? sounds great. Uh, I think we've covered quite well the process. And uh, no, I think it's fine. I just uh, want to underline that, you know, we have many boats in France and in uh, for sale. And I'm sure that, you know, we, we can do a good job for the U.S. clients. All right. I will put your contact information and the link to your website in the post for the show notes on this podcast. Thank you very much. Okay. Thank you, friends. Very right. nice talking to you. Talk to you later. Okay. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, that was a great interview. If you have any thoughts or suggestions for future podcasts, write me, franz1 at medsailor.com, and consider becoming a Patreon. Life is short. In the end, all that really matters is the memories you make. So make a few. Go sailing.